promotional code that you can connect with and actually go ahead and get signed up for that event. All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. Uh, we are in a, we're beginning uh, this series called Momentum. You see it here. It's on the it's on the wall behind me. Thanks to our arts team for putting this together. So we talked about uh, at our, for our, with our men on Saturday morning, this idea of being those who live with momentum. And it's one of those things, I don't really have to define momentum, do I? Because you know it when you see it. Like you know it when you see it. Whether it's a, a person who just has momentum in life, whether it's a, a sports figure or a sports team that has momentum in life, or it could be a writer or an artist, it could be a band that just has momentum. You know what that means? They're on the roll, things are happening, things are going for them, man. Like they're just they're just clicking on all cylinders. Whatever language you want to use, you know when someone has momentum, an organization has momentum. You see it with churches, churches that have momentum, and you all also know those situations, people, organizations, and places that seemingly don't have momentum. And so we want to take the upcoming weeks to talk about, one, uh, being a people, just individually, yes, who God's stirring, and there's momentum in your life. And I would say that mentally and, and, and emotionally and spiritually. We also talk about it in the context of vintage, uh, just being a, a church, a people, where there is, is the momentum of God that is happening in the life of our church. The thing about momentum is that momentum always has a starting point, doesn't it? Like there's a moment when you don't have momentum, and then something begins to stir as a starting point, whether you're just completely sitting still, maybe you're even moving backwards, maybe you're spinning your wheels, whatever it looks like, and then there's that moment, right, of momentum occurring, but there's always a starting point. And so as we talk this morning about momentum in the life of, of Vintage 242 Church, I, I just want to begin, I want to talk about the starting point, and the starting point is, for me is the state of vintage. This morning I'm going to begin with a level of maybe brutal honesty. I'm going to talk about some transparency some things maybe that make you feel uncomfortable, maybe some things that are unsettling, maybe like that's kind of discouraging along the way. But the reality is, I don't know about you, but I would much rather be honest than dishonest. I would much rather tell you what's actually going on than blow smoke while Titanic's sinking while we're still playing the music. I mean, what a waste of time, right? And so I'm not saying we're the Titanic, okay? Don't worry. But, but you know what I'm getting at. I want to be honest. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about that, and some of that's going to be a little bit transparent for me, a little bit transparent for Randall and I, and even our own lives. Don't worry, babe, it's not too transparent. <laughs> now, let's just start here. The state of vintage, like every other church in America that I know, since March of 2020, it's just been difficult, right? And, I, and here's the thing, I know it's been difficult for you, and a lot of your organ. I'm going to talk about vintage, but I recognize what I'm going to say this morning is true for so many organizations and so many people, individuals, and families. I'm going to talk about Vintage, but I recognize I'm talking about lots of other organizations, too. I'm just talking about us. I can't speak for others, but I can speak for us. Since the March of 2020, it's safe to say that Vintage has probably lost 50% of its people. Right? That's a lot. Part of the reason that we're doing one service is because we can we have the space to do it because we lost about 50% of 
of our people, which is crazy considering we just had our best year financially, I'm just saying, right? Way to go, God, right? Kind of speaks to some momentum, I'm just saying. Kind of start out with a little positive right there. But, but the reasons that people left are varied, and I need to share these with you because, because I think it's important to the story. Some people left because of our stance on masks and our stance on vaccines. Some people left because of our perceived perceived an important word, our perceived stance or lack thereof on certain political or social issues. Some people left because of their perception of a lack of pastoral care, that they didn't feel like anybody cared for them. They didn't feel like they were loved. They didn't feel like they were known. Now, if I'm being completely honest, there were a lot of those emails and texts directed directly at Randall and I. We didn't do enough. Lots of mean emails and texts that came out. I'm not trying to make it about us. I'm just saying that happens, okay? People told me that I had lost the Holy Spirit, that I was walking in my flesh. I took all those things to the Lord. I took them to people I trusted. I want you to know, when people wrote me emails saying, Steve, you're in your flesh and you've lost the Spirit of God, I didn't get defensive. I went to the people who know me best. I went to my brothers in Christ who I walk with. I went to my staff. I called Scott Crawford and said, is this true? I'm going to humble myself before those things and not pretend like I got it all figured out. That happened. I reached out to probably 15 people with those texts and emails. People left because of distance. They had to drive and we get that, right? We have people who had to move, like the Doyles today. They're moving to Texas. They're right here. We're going to pray them after service, right? Like they're leaving. We're super sad. They're going to miss us. So that's not a bad thing, right? It's just is reality. Some people left. We're going to pray for them. Who wants to pray for the Doyles to send them out well when we get done? Absolutely. We're going to do that at the end of service. Somebody remind me if I forget. All right, here we go. Some people left because, well, their kids' sports were just really important. So they wouldn't say they left vintage, but they haven't been here in six months. That impacts the whole. Some people, again, moved. And let's just be honest. I'm not saying this to be mean, but some people just let people, they might say they're still at vintage, but simply because of sheer laziness, they just got into a new kind of stance on church and they just broke the habit of coming and being involved. And so they would say, oh, yeah, we're still part of vintage, but we haven't seen them in two years. And that part of that's just, they just enjoy their pajamas and coffee on Sunday morning. This does not, not include virtual people. Like, there are some people who are, God's moving in them virtually. And virtual, like, if this is where you're engaged and feel God's called to lead you, that's why we're doing it. Because you're engaged. We love you. You're part of our family. And this is not about you. But there are some people who don't connect at all. And so in that, right, There are obviously lots of other reasons, but these probably represent the lion's share of those that we know who've left. Now, in sharing these things with you, I don't want you to read anger into any of these things for me. Like, I'm not angry. Like, I'm not sitting here, like, seething with a, with a, you know, false, humble frustration. Like, I'm, I really am not, right? I, I recognize each person has a life that they're living, decisions that they need to make that they feel like are best for them and their family. And honestly, I truly get it. But I also don't want you to read indifference into my thoughts and statements. 
Like, there's not indifference for me. There's not indifference for Randall or Seth. Like, it, it makes me, and these are just words, but it makes me very sad whenever someone leaves, especially when they don't leave well. It's incredibly disappointing when people leave, especially when it's over perceived places of failure that had no conversation attached to them whatsoever to bring some sort of communication, explanation, and an unpacking of what was going on, that they began to believe some thoughts that, on all honesty, in my opinion, sometimes they just weren't true. And so in that I'm sad, even that I'm disappointed, and in that many times it, it overwhelms me. I will tell you, when any person leaves vintage, it hurts, it's painful, and it stings like the Dickens. Every pastor I'm in relationship with has to make the choice, do I remain vulnerable for the next 25 years knowing people are going to hurt you when they leave? Or do I guard myself, protect myself, and stop engaging relationship. It's why it's easier sometimes to be a pastor of a megachurch, but you don't have to talk to anybody. So with this in mind, as a leadership team and as a staff, one voice that we have begun listening to just fairly recently is this guy named Kerry Newhoff. Kerry's a founding pastor of Connexus Church. He's a powerful voice around leadership and what I would call prophetic trends in the church. He's always connecting, always listening, always praying, and putting out ideas and thoughts for the church. And speaking about the phenomenon of people leaving in 2020 and in 2021, he said many leaders they kept clinging to the idea that the next season, whether it was Easter or the new school year or Christmas, proverbially those times people come back to church, they would bring people back and we would once again reach an attendance level we experienced in 2019, the very first quarter of 2020. He goes on to say, for most churches, that magic season has never materialized. It has an advantage. He says, in 2022, it will become evident that some of the people who said they were coming back later clearly aren't coming back ever. And that should be sad. Not just to us. That shouldn't be, that should, that should be disappointing, not just to us, but to all of us. Because the idea is, and I think even just praying for little Adele speaks to it, we need the people who have left and they need us. He then said this, and this will be on the screen. You can go ahead and put it up. He says, you can't build the future of your church when you're living in the past. And that's the point about momentum. Like, we could sit here all day long, and you could go to lunch today and get frustrated and throw some names out of people who you're frustrated with, right? And I just encourage you not to. Remember, God says, bless your enemy. So if we're to bless our enemy, then we should bless people who disappointed us, who aren't really our enemy. So when you leave today, go bless those people. Love on them. Reach out a text to those people that you think, I just want you to know that you're loved and that you're missed. And we talked about today how disappointed we are that we don't have you in our community anymore. We love you. Write those texts today. You can't build the future, though, in your church when you're living in the past. And so the last two years represent our past. 
right? We're still impacted by COVID and sickness. I get it, all the stuff that, that we're wrestling with, right? But we can't focus on the past. We focus on the future. And the idea would be this then. Who we now have is who we build with. So let's get to building. Someone say amen. Who's ready to build and get momentum? I am. Listen, I think all the time about Nehemiah. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to unpack it today. I would encourage you to read Nehemiah yourself. Nehemiah is this beautiful, beautiful story of this man who's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He was just a man, a leader, raised up by God on behalf of God's people. And for 60 years, they had been in Babylon, in captivity. And all of a sudden, God begins to stir in Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes, hey, we're ready to rebuild ready to rebuild the ruins. I don't know about you, but the last two years have made it feel a little bit like ruins. A little bit like ruins. I'm not trying to compare our experience to being dragged into captivity by a Babylonian army. It's not that. But you know what I'm getting at. The level of this. Feeling a level captive by our culture and the things that were going on around us. The voices and the talking heads and the separation and the animosity and the tension and the anger, right? All of this going, oh my gosh, I'm even afraid to talk to people because are we on the same page? Are they going to stone me for thinking differently than I do? It's felt like this. It's felt like we're in ruins. But what does Nehemiah do? He says, well, this is our home. Hey, we've got to just go rebuild it. Just got to go rebuild it. Began to like work and pray and God began to move. And here's the thing about it. If you've ever read Nehemiah, you know. He said, let's go back. And a lot of people didn't. Some people got so comfortable sitting in their pajamas, loving life in Babylon, they just stayed. He didn't stone them. He didn't tell them they were heretics. He didn't tell them they were bad people. He said, well, we'll just take who we have. And we'll go rebuild. We'll rebuild the ruins. And the thing about the rebuilding of the ruins, if you've read it, is, man, it was a process. They would build for a week and look at what they built. It looked like nothing. Right? Because the momentum took time. And so all of a sudden, they built something. It didn't compare to what they had lost. But you know what it was? It was a place where God's glory dwelt, and they got to enjoy it together. Nice wonders, you missed a good first part of this message. I just want you to know that. (laughs) It'll be online on YouTube. So the scripture of Nehemiah, it speaks to these ruins that are being rebuilt. And I just want you to hear me say this morning, when I think about it, if I think about us rebuilding in the church and engaging in our own strength, man, we're going to fail. Nehemiah tells me, man, when we all of a sudden get together and begin to pray and seek Jesus together, That God's spirit moves in power, and he empowers us to rebuild. I think yesterday, guys, man, part of that was yesterday, wasn't it? Men who were here, wasn't yesterday part of that? 
All right. So the mindset, again, momentum. It's this word I've been hearing, right? This mindset behind the word I began hearing in momentum. When the Lord began the end of 2021, I just began to pray, and, and I felt like God just began to speak momentum. I began to speak that word, had confirmation again and again. As I said, just to be honest, I was, I was in a season of tension around leadership. If I'm honest, a level of disillusionment around ministry, even wondering myself, what does the future hold for the church in general? God, have you lifted your hand from it, God? Begin to think about the future, what it held for vintage specifically. And in prayer for several weeks, all I could hear from Jesus is, is these three things in different orders, different language, but all the same thing. Number one was persevere. Let's say that, persevere. Number two, keep running the race, Steve. Don't give up. And the third thing is momentum is coming. Those three things I heard from the Lord. Persevere. Keep running the race. Momentum is coming again and again. He would just speak that to the word. Reading that in scripture, songs that I was singing, began to speak that with people I was talking to. Hence, why the word momentum, why it's up here on the screen. Talked about it yesterday, why it's here behind me. Momentum is something that doesn't easily happen. Doesn't easily happen. Doesn't just happen like willy-nilly, as our, as our man Bill Stevens used to say, right? Doesn't it just happen randomly. When thinking of an old-school steam train, that's the mindset that comes to me. I'll start thinking about momentum. The old steam train, remember those you see in the movies, right? Think back to the future three train, right? You had that train there, the old steam train, and you would you'd put the coal into it to get the fire stoked, and they'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, man, they would try to put that thing into gear. Smoke begins to billow out. The wheels are just spinning like this. There's sparks everywhere. It's lots of like noise trying to get going, right? I mean, this took a long time. You had to get, I think about the girl in the train, the boyfriend of the husband who's outside the train, and they're walking beside the train because you can walk by it. It's so slow. You can just walk by it, right? And all of a sudden, what happens, the wheels begin to spin. They start to walk a little bit faster, and they're having to go to slight jog, and then they're having to run to keep up till all of a sudden, momentum has been built over time, and now no one can keep up with the train, and no one can stop it apart from some natural disaster, right? Because momentum has started. You can't make that happen. I can't make it happen. But as we pray and believe God, momentum begins to stir. Momentum begins to happen. And that's what we're believing for. We're praying for this type of momentum. And it's not yet attained. Of the upcoming weeks, we'll talk about momentum from a spiritual level, a practical level, a structural level, right? We'll talk about the context of responsibility, Recognizing that every part of an organism, think physical body, every part of an organization, think church, has a role to play for it to function at its highest level. Meaning, I have responsibility and momentum, and meaning, you have responsibility with momentum. I don't put that on. Listen, do I put that on you as a level of pressure? 100% absolutely. Remember, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Just because you have responsibility doesn't mean it's horrible. It actually produces light because I don't know about you, but when God gives me something to be responsible for, I get excited about it because he's trusted me with something. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility as it relates to momentum, recognizing we each have a role to play. Listen, that's another way of saying this. 
Those of you, listen, there are some narcissistic tendencies in here to think that you're super important. And for those of you, yes, I'm talking about you, you're important. But really what I want those people to hear me say is those who don't naturally see themselves as a leader, you don't naturally see yourself having a role to play or being that important, you're just as equally as important as the ones who know they're important. (laughs) Right? You all have a role to play. Big and small in the eyes of God, as long as you are faithful to what he's given you, then you're 100% pleasing in his sight. You know what I mean in that. All right. Um, you have responsibility. I do, too. So I'm just going to name a few characteristics. It's already getting a little bit late. We have our kids back there. So let me go through these. Again, these are just some pieces, right? These are um, what I would say. These are some uh, ex- like um, experiences as momentum, things that we're looking for. And here's what I would say. You want to look for them in yourself. Okay, so you're going to be self-aware every day of these traits of momentum being present in your life. So write them down, process them in, the play, in, in front of Jesus, ask him about these things. Hey, God, are these things present in my life? And then we're going to be aware of them together if they're present in the body of Christ here at Vintage. Okay, so three things I'm going to name. There's not super rocket science behind these things. There's three things I was praying. I felt like God just spoke, and there are more than these things. But these are the three I'm naming. Number one, momentum is about growth. Momentum is about growth. Now, when speaking about growth in church, I am not talking about numerical growth, what they call cheeks and seats. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about forward movement. I'm talking about us getting stronger, and I'm talking about our maturity. So those three things, again, I'm talking about forward movement, I'm talking about getting stronger, and I'm talking about maturity, like going from infanthood to adolescence to adulthood. Paul makes this point, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he says, but I, brothers, I will throw sisters in there also, could not address you as spiritual people. I want to, but I can't. But instead, I address you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk. Not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. For you are still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Like you see this picture as you read about Corinth and you read through Corinthians first and second. Listen, you see a lot of movements, but you don't see much growth. Infants must grow into adolescents who then grow into adults. Momentum, listen, moment, and this is, these are, I, did, I should have this on the screen, but I didn't. Momentum in life is marked by continual growth into these things. Fruit-producing, gift-expressing, God-fearing, humble lovers of God and neighbor. That would have been good on the screen, wouldn't it? I apologize. I'm going to say it again real slow. Momentum in life is marked... By continual growth in fruit producing, right? Gift expressing, God fearing, humble lovers of God and lovers of their neighbor. That's what we're talking about with growth. Your life is marked by these things. Your life is marked by the fruit of God being produced and expressed everywhere that you go. 
that you're, you show growth because you're expressing the gifts of God's Spirit. You're prophetically speaking to people's lives, manifesting the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the edification of the body. You're naming the gift of administration and evangelism, right? All of these gifts of the Holy Spirit that never went anywhere. If the early church needed it, I think we need it. We're God-fearing. Such a holy, powerful reverence of God that you wake up every morning and say, your will, not my will. God, you're so big. Man, that you are humble. That people just can't wait to get around you. Humble humility is a magnet for people who are in need of God. If people are not naturally drawn to you, you need to pray into the growth of humility. We're looking for lovers of God. And lovers of neighbor, you must be growing. Are you? I must be growing. Am I? And we must be growing mentally and our knowledge of Jesus here emotionally. We're growing and just emotionally in our understanding who God is and emotional health and then spiritually. Third, second thing, momentum is about health. Momentum is about health. Organisms and organizations only last if they recognize and rid themselves of sickness and disease. No human body can handle cancer without it being treated. Like you may be doing fine for a minute with cancer, but all of a sudden cancer end time is going to overtake you and overtake your body. And cancers and organizations and organisms will ultimately in time kill it. And let's just be honest. There are lots of cancers in the body of Christ. Revelation 3, like a surgical knife, God comes and he cuts through and says things like this. Hey, church of Sardis, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. You think you're alive. Everybody thinks you're alive, but you were dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains, strengthens about what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. And so in that we go, oh, yes, sir. There needs to be a lot more yes, sirring to Jesus, I'm just saying. We've lost that in this generation, (laughs) you know what I mean? Woo. You sit down, but I don't, I don't know if he does or not. Surgery is for the purpose of healing, guys. Highlighting sickness is for the purpose of getting whole. How many of you like to go to a doctor when you're sick and the doctor says, this is what you have and this is how we fix it, right? I do. So that's what he's doing here. Hey, this is going well, but these things aren't. Here's where you're sick. You're not healthy. Let's get healthy. The church at Sardis has a semblance of being healthy, but they aren't. And what God wants them to do is to wake up. Spiritual health is marked by, it's like, listen, spiritual health is marked by a life of humility, a life of obedience, a life spent in God's presence, a life of faith, and of trust in Jesus. Again, I will say that more slowly, right? A semblance of health, a life of health, momentum is health, right, is that you or your life is marked by humility, a life of obedience, you're quick to obedience, a life spent primarily in God's presence, a life of faith and of trust and of believing God in the midst of situations that say, that scream at you, can you really believe and trust God? Yes, I can. Number three, momentum is about zeal. 
It's about zeal. This is a word you don't use very much. I don't use very much, but I think it's a powerful word. One of the most interesting and powerful stories, in my opinion, in the New Testament is found in John 2. Jesus has just performed his miracle at Canaan of Galilee. We talk about it at all our weddings, right? He's just performed that miracle. And he walks in. It's Passover. He walks into the temple, and Jesus gets righteously angry. He builds a whip. He starts whipping the money changers. He starts turning over the table so that money is going everywhere. He's literally whipping the animals and causing them a huge ruckus, right? Causing a huge ruckus and literally making everybody run out. And I guarantee you, Jesus is not going, he's like, get out of here in the name of God, right? He is angry. Like people probably think he's a crazy man. He wasn't crazy. He was convicted. I love it because what it says in John 2, only in John 2, verse 17 on the screen, it says, And in that moment, his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. The things of God would consume him. The house of God would consume him. Zeal speaks to priority. It speaks to primary passion. It speaks to a devotion of energy for Jesus. His zeal was focused on the house of God. Listen, this past week we celebrated the life of Bill Stevens, right? Everyone I talked to, whether here or across the ocean, that I talked to about Bill said the same thing. He was a simple man who just loved Jesus and he loved People, zeal for God consumed Bill Stevens. I was undone the last couple of weeks working with Rosemary on this. It was a gift to work with Rosemary. Because zeal consumes, for God's house consumes Rosemary. Just a lot more quietly. With a better accent. She's British. She's got a good British accent. Like, just talk to me all day long, Rosemary, right? So we look to build momentum this year, one sign of it in our lives and in our body will be our people being defined by zeal in their lives for the person of God, the house of God, and the things of God. I am so glad Georgia won the national championship. But I sure hope we spend more time talking about Jesus. Like, you know those zealous Georgia fans, I may have been one, might still be one. They walk into a Georgia game. They're like black shoes, red pants, Georgia belt, Georgia shirt. They got pom-poms and a hat. Got some sort of Georgia Ugga mask on, right? All they can do is talk about Georgia. The game's over. They walk you through every single play that happened. They can name every player by name and where he's from and his mom's name. That's weird, right? They're just zealous and passionate for the dogs, and they're weird. We need more weird people for Jesus. Momentum. We get it. We know it when we see it. We don't have it. We don't. And that's okay. But let's be throwing. It's time right now to start throwing some coal in that fire and stoking it, y'all. It's time to make it say, Jesus, I'm tired of this. And you all know what this is. Jesus, I want this. And I want vintage to be a place of this. And God, I'm willing to step up and take responsibility for it.
God, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm not going to be content unless I have growth, unless I have health, unless I have zeal. Because the reality is this, how does a church get healthy? You get healthy. Are we going to be perfect? Someone say no. No, we're not going to be perfect. That's why there's grace. But we want momentum. We're going to pray for it believe for it and go after it because you're the people we got let's build let's build all right